anxious to uh, get into the Word with you. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. What we're doing this morning is we're setting the uh, foundation, the context, the atmosphere in which uh, we're going to launch into a study uh, for tonight through Wednesday, which would be four nights. And what we're going to be dealing with during those four nights, starting tonight, is Acts chapter 2, verse 25, down through verse 28. So if you would like to uh, read that ahead of time, that would be great and become familiar with it. Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. You'll notice there are four verses. It's a messianic psalm. It's a quotation right out of uh, Psalm chapter 16. So there are four verses. We'll deal with each, we'll deal with one verse each night and walk through this passage. But in order to understand those four verses, of course, you need to know the context of uh, the setting in which they are spoken. And of course, chapter two of the book of Acts, actually all of the book of Acts, all rest on the whole idea of Pentecost. Uh, The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the new covenant coming into being. And it was a great occasion. It happened 50 days after uh, the whole of the Passion Week, the Passover day and the crucifixion of Jesus. Pentecost actually means 50. So it's 50 days after. And it was a great celebration because it was a celebration of the law. In fact, they called the celebration of of Pentecost the joy of the law. Now the whole thing has shifted and moved into and on that day when there was the final climactic moment of the harvest physically and the giving of the law, now we have the outpouring of the Spirit taking place on that day, which is phenomenal uh, symbolism. So all that God is wanting to give you is found in this Pentecost event. He gives it to us in four verses. There were three to 5,000 Jews hanging around saying, what on earth is going on? Because 120 had just received this experience. And this three to 5,000 Jews uh, who had been coming to Jerusalem expecting God to do something great uh, were thinking that this was probably the great thing God was going to do. And they looked at this group who was speaking in their languages, 15 different dialects, looked at this group and asked the question in verse 12, whatever could this mean? And again, there's a verb left out in that statement and it's the verb to be. So it's the sentence, it's the question that asks, whatever could this mean to be to my life? Meaning, uh, how does this affect me? What does this mean for my spiritual experience? What's really going on here? You'll notice in verse 14 that Peter is moved upon by the Holy Spirit, stands to his feet and says, I'm going to explain this to you. And he does it in the form of a sermon, which I think is really exciting. And it's a long sermon, which I really think is exciting. Uh, He begins with his text, which is verse 17, and it's a quotation right out of Joel, according to verse uh, 16, the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and following. And in our passage, of course, it's verse 17 down through verse 21. When he gets done giving his text, he moves into the body of his sermon. Now, the body of his sermon begins with what we call a proposition, And again, the proposition is the whole sermon reduced down to one sentence. And most people wish we'd give the one sentence and shut up, but we never do that. So the whole sentence, the whole sermon is found in verse 22, 23, and 24, which is one sentence. It's a long sentence, I admit that, but it's 
it's Peter's proposition of giving explanation to Pentecost. Now, everything he's going to say in the sermon is traceable back to this one sentence. It sets the perimeters for his explanation. So we're not going to talk about baptism. We're not going to go off on any rabbit trails. We're not going to talk about church polity. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff. Everything he's going to talk about in the sermon is traceable back and we'll talk about what's going on in this 120. I'm trying to explain it to you. And he begins with this proposition. Let me read it to you. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man proven by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, keep in mind again, he's giving an explanation of what's going on in the 120, which is Pentecost. What does this mean to be in my life? How does this shape out? What is the significance of all of this? And he begins with these words. Men of Israel, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Now, these are the Jews that crucified Christ. If I'd have been there and I would have been preaching this sermon, I would not have started like that. I would have started with Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth, the Divine One. Jesus of Nazareth, the sovereign creator of the universe, and he's going to come and get you. I would have nailed him, man. I would have gone after him. But he starts out, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. That is so significant. And we spent the first service just talking about that concept and the Sunday school hour just talking about that concept. It's the concept that the second member of the Trinity who is God, Jesus is God. We've settled that. I believe he's God. You believe he's God. Peter believed he was God. In fact, Peter in chapter 16 gave the great confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So they believe Jesus is God. See, if Jesus isn't God, then the whole thing falls apart. Because if Jesus is not just another nice guy, lots of nice guys have died. But it didn't do anything for me. The reason the death of Jesus is so significant, folks, is he is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What did I say? Okay, are we settled on that? Hey, so don't go out of here and say, Manly said Jesus isn't God. Jesus is God. But that isn't the sermon. See, the sermon is Jesus of Nazareth, a man that the second member of the Trinity leaped off of his throne and became a, a babe in, a mother, in his mother's womb. This babe in this mother's womb had prior existence. He was not produced. He was not brought about. He had prior existence as the second member of the Trinity. But that person who was God emptied himself, set aside everything he had as God and limited himself to what you have available to you. And everything, in other words, everything that distinguished God from you, he gave it up and became exactly what you are, that he might live in the power of the spirit of God. So Jesus didn't do what he did because he's God. He did what he did because he's a man filled with God. 
Don't you think it's interesting that for 30 years, Jesus didn't do zip? I mean, nothing, folks. I mean, there's no preaching going on. There's no miracles going on. I think he coached a little league team. But outside of that, he didn't do anything. I made that up. He didn't do anything. He's nowhere at all. He's at home, living at home with mom, taking care of mom as the elder son should do. He's working as a carpenter. All of a sudden, the guy is all over the place. Jesus is everywhere. I mean, his famous building. He, the fame just went so, I mean, it went so far that the foreign countries around Palestine begin to send their people over and they all begin to come for miracles as well. But you can understand that. Man, in that hour without doctors and all of that, and if you had a sickness and you had a friend who was sick, Man, you'd go to, oh, you got an ingrown toenail? Go to Jesus. See, we, hey, we, we, they just came by the horde. We have no idea how many miracles Jesus did. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of miracles until just everyone was talking about Jesus. Don't you look at that and say, what happened? 30 years, he's not doing anything. All of a sudden, wham, miracles, parables, ministry. All of this is going on. What, don't you look at him and say, what set the boy off? I mean, it's like somebody flipped a switch. The guy just went crazy in ministry. And you say, what was, and you know what happened. The baptism at John. Oh, it wasn't a baptism. He was baptized and when they came out of the water, the Father through the Spirit filled the man called Jesus. Pentecost. 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 Wow. And Jesus got this in his life. And everything that happened in the ministry of Jesus, he didn't do because he's God, although he is God, but he did it because he was a man filled with God. Now Peter stands up and says, oh, I want to explain to you what's going on in 120. Jesus of Nazareth, the man, is the proof of it. The same thing that was going on in Jesus of Nazareth, the man, that you took out and crucified, the same identical thing that was going on in him, that's now going on in 120. They got it too. And his promise to you. That's phenomenal. Now, when he looked at his crowd and understood that they didn't quite get all of that, he said, I want to break that down for you. So go back to verse 22 with me and let's walk through this verse. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. The explanation of Pentecost is Jesus of Nazareth, a man proven by God. So what God did is he took the fullness of the spirit, which he intended for mankind in the beginning and literally jammed it inside of a man and said, let's walk it out through the flesh of the man called Jesus. So Jesus is the proof. And when he got done looking at Jesus and what the spirit of God did through the man called Jesus, God said, whoa, this works. And I'm going to do it again in 120. So he, first of all, proved it in the man called Jesus. In other words, Jesus was the prototype of what this looks like. You know what a prototype is. You, you make the first one to see if it works. Whoa, it worked. So we're going to do some others. So Jesus is the number one. Jesus is the beginning of this. Now played out in 120. Now, he says in verse 22, go back to the verse, Jesus of Nazareth, a man proven by God to you 
by miracles, wonders, and signs. Now, let's go after this phrase, miracles, wonders, and signs. That was the proof. Miracles, wonders, and signs. Now, I got to tell you something before we get into this. Uh, I'm an Indiana boy, born and raised in Indiana, farm country, out in the country with the corn and the pigs. Which means I come from a very conservative background. See, we didn't laugh in church. Uh, Your mom could hit you in church, but she couldn't laugh in church. I never did figure that out, but anyhow. Uh, And of course, if you couldn't laugh, you weren't supposed to make any noise in church. And yet the preacher would get upset if you didn't say amen. So I didn't know when you were supposed to say amen or when you could laugh or it just really got confusing. Anyhow, I shouldn't tell you all my problems. So here I am raised in this conservative setting. I mean, we had two songs, uh, had a prayer, took up the offering, had a special, then had a sermon. And we always got out by noon. Dream on. (laughs) Never mind. So that's, that my, that's my background. Uh, when nobody raised a hand, you certainly didn't raise two hands. Uh, I mean, we were, we're, we're talking conservative. We had 50 in our church. And if you'd study our church, you would go back 50 years when we started and we had 50 then. So we still had 50. And I never could figure out how we did that except I guess we had a committee Evidently, because we had committees for everything. So you had a committee that studied the situation. Said, oh, you're going to have a baby. Oh, you're going to die. You guys have a baby. So, you know, it was that kind of a deal. So we just, we always had 50. That was the only thing I could, anyhow. So I'm trying to tell you, we had a very conservative. So when you come to me with my background and say, miracles, wonders, and signs, I go, ooh. See, I'm not interested. See, I like the bulletin. Because all of that smells of wild stuff. And hey, don't run the aisle, sit down. I'm preaching. Are we on track here? So I looked at this miracles, wonders, and signs, and said, oh, What on earth am I going to do with that? Because I'm not even interested. So before I ever studied this, I'm telling you the truth now. Not that I wouldn't tell you the truth. Anyhow, I'm telling you the truth. When I studied this, before I studied this, before I studied it, I said, Jesus, whatever this means, I don't know what it means. But whatever it means. Now, I'm not interested in what the Baptists say it means. I don't give a rip what the Pentecostals say it means. I don't care what the Charismatics say it means. I don't even care what the Nazarenes say it means. I want to know what it really means. And when I find out what it really means, I'm in! I don't care what it does to me. I don't care if it gets me off the back row to the front row. I don't care if it makes me a wild man. If, if it makes me run the aisle, jump the pew, poo. I'm gone, man, I'm gone. If it changes my personality, if it shortens my nose, hallelujah. Whatever it does to me, whatever it does to me, whatever it does to me, I'm in. 
so I made that commitment. So I want to ask you before we get into this, will you make that commitment with me? Three of you, okay. So let's go after it. Miracles, wonders, and signs. Evidently, what's going on in the 120 was going on in the man called Jesus. And what was going on in the man called Jesus was the fullness of the spirit of the nature of God living within him, which produced miracles, wonders, and signs. And the proof of the fullness of the spirit was the miracles, wonders, and signs. So what is miracles, wonders, and signs? I found out it's a phrase. Wonders and signs. At first I thought wonders and signs probably was uh, two, asp two different kinds of miracles. In other words, Jesus, Jesus did wonder miracles and sign miracles. But I found out that wasn't true. I found out it's a phrase. It's used over 30 times, a little over 30 times in the New Testament. Nine times in the book of Acts. Wonders and signs, signs and wonders. Five times wonders and signs. Four times signs and wonders. What's the difference between wonders and signs and signs and wonders? I have no idea, but it's intriguing. Nine times in the book of Acts. Nine times in the book of Acts. So I, I discovered this is a phrase, and they normally go together. In other words, normally, once in a while, you'll have signs by itself. But normally, it's wonders and signs or signs and wonders. I discovered it's not two different kinds of miracles. I discovered it's two aspects of every miracle. So what you've got is a miracle over here, and then a part of that miracle is a wonder and a sign. Now, wonder is not hard to get a hold of because wonder, the actual Greek word itself, is the idea of uh, astonishment. It's the idea of remembering. In other words, you see something and what you take away with you when you go from that event or thing is what you remember. So it's the astonishing element of the miracle. So a miracle comes along and you go, wow, that is a wonder. See, you're, it's the kind of thing you go home, whacking your legs, say, oh, I never saw anything like that. Did you, can you believe, whoa. And it's astonishment. So Jesus went around wowing his world. Now, sign is equally easy to figure out because the idea of sign is that you're not to concentrate on the miracle. Here's a miracle. Don't concentrate on the miracle. The miracle's no big deal. It's a big deal, but it's, it's not a big, big deal. In other words, the thing you're to concentrate on is not the miracle itself. The miracle is a sign. It's like a gigantic finger pointing to something beyond itself. So what you want to pay attention to is, what is the miracle telling you? What is the miracle pointing to? And obviously, the miracles of Jesus were all pointing to the Father. So Jesus went around wowing his world and pointing to the Father. Now, everything I just told you is validated by the miracle idea. Now, the miracle idea, the word miracle, is the Greek word you're probably familiar with. It's the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite, which is explosive in nature, which goes back to the wow out of the miracle. 
We on track? So you got this miracle. By the way, the word dunamis, translated miracle, is used 117 times in the Bible. Only 12 times, I think it is, 12 times is it translated miracle. Which means miracle, this thing must be bigger than miracle, miracle. See, when you say miracle to me, I think in terms of walking on the water. I think in terms of blinded eyes made to see. I think in terms of crippled people walking. Those are miracles. Nobody's belittling that. But in the Bible, there's miracle refers to things way beyond or different from that. Let me give you an example. For instance, in Jesus' day, kids were nowhere, meaning they had no rights. Uh, Children, they were nothing. They were property. In other words, you could get up in the morning, a Jewish father could get up in the morning and say, uh, we need some extra money, sell that kid. And he could sell his own kid into slavery. And nobody's gonna come and get him, nobody's gonna, hey, challenge him. No, hey, it's his cot, it's his kid. He has a right to do with his property what he wants to do. That was the culture. A Roman pagan could get up any morning he wanted to, grab a hold of the heel of his newborn babe, throw it against the wall. Nobody's going to come and, come on. He has a right to do that to his property. Children, which is why you can understand in their culture, the disciples are standing at the doorway saying, get out of here, kids. Because that was their culture, the way they thought. (gasps) Jesus was different. He rebuked the disciples and said, hey, step aside, let those kids in here. And all the kids came in and he blessed them, put them on his knee and he blessed them. And he turned to his big time disciples and said, you better become like him or you don't even get in. Where did Jesus get that idea? He didn't learn it from his culture. He didn't learn it from Sunday school. He didn't get it from the preacher, the rabbi. Where did he learn that? It's a miracle. Wow. Well, that's not walking on the water. I got that. That's not blinded eyes made, but it's a miracle. So Jesus didn't just go around wowing his world and pointing to the Father by walking on water. There was this whole attitude thing. He's hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. What? That's not normal. Wow! So the very lifestyle of Jesus, the very way he handled himself, that he walks into town and man, you just hang around him and watch his mannerisms and watch how he acts and watch his responses and how he feels and what he says and the way the man talks and you look at him and say, whoa. Now the word dunamis is really interesting. This is not hard, folks. The word dunamis which is the word miracle here. So Jesus did this dunamis thing, which wowed his world and pointed to the Father. The word dunamis, there's another Greek word, not in the passage, but it's a parallel word. It's the word iskus, and I really like it. So you got dunamis and you got iskus. Now here's the difference between dunamis and iskus. Iskus is a focus on the resource power itself. Dunamis is the explosive action of the resource. Example. 
when I first got up here, you looked at me and said, wow, look at those muscles. Look at that chest. You guys are nasty. Look at that chest. That boy could bench press 400 pounds. He's got iscus. Now, I'm not bench pressing 400 pounds. I got iscus. Now I'm going to go over and I'm going to bench press 400 pounds. That's the dunamis. In other words, dunamis is iscus in action. See, you look at God and say, oh, he's powerful. Yeah, he is. Sovereign. You're right. Almighty. Absolutely, brother. Creator. Oh, you're dead on. Mighty in power. Almighty God. Absolutely. What's he doing? Not a thing. Just sitting there. That's iscus. Now that power is on the move. Which is the dunamis. So the dunamis is the action and the power and resource of God in motion, wowing his world and pointing to the Father. So it's miracles wonders and signs. Now watch this. Turn a page back. Just turn back one page. It's a verse you've memorized. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is not ascended. Pentecost hasn't happened yet. He's with his disciples 40 days in his resurrection appearance. And he tells them at the last day, they don't know that, he does, but it's the last day. And he tells them, about, hey, you've heard of the promise of the Father. The fullness of the Spirit is going to come. That's what this is all about. And he said, just hang tight. Go to Jerusalem and hang tight until it happens. And then he goes down to verse 8 and says this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now back up. Verse 8. You, have, you shall receive power. You know what the Greek word for power is there? Dunamis! So he says to the disciples, go to Jerusalem, hang out, man. What's going to happen? You're going to get the dunamis. So they all went to Jerusalem, hung out, and then 120 are filled with the Spirit. Peter stands up and says, I want to explain to you what's going on in the 120. They got the dunamis. And what's the dunamis? It's the iscus of God in action. It's all the resource of the divine person that's in action through the life, spilling and producing and sourcing the life. In fact, the example of that is Jesus. So all the resource of God that's in Jesus, producing the life of Jesus, wowing his world and pointing to the Father, has now come and filled 120. And oh, oh, it's promised to you. Trying to explain Pentecost to you. Now, when he got done with that, he looked at his crowd and they look about like you. He said, you didn't get that, did you? So he said, let me, let me say it again. I'm going to say the same thing that I just got done saying. Only I'm not going to say it in the same words. Because if I said it in the same words, you'd say, oh, those preachers just repeat themselves all the time. So I'm going to use different words. So he explains the same, makes the same identical statement. Look at this. Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, a man... Proven by God to you, by miracles, moving action of the life of God, wonders, wow, and signs which God did 
through him. God did. God did. Now, the Greek word for did is really significant. And this is just blowing my life apart. There are two Greek words that can be translated do, did, or done. You don't know which they are unless you look it up. Legitimately can be translated do, did, or done. But they're not the same. One Greek word is poieo. Say it with me. Poieo. One more time. Poieo. Poieo. The other Greek word is proso. So you got poieo and you got proso. Two Greek words that can be translated do, did, or done. But again, while they both mean do, did, or done, there's a difference between the two and they're never used interchangeably. Poieo paints a picture. Let me give you the picture. It's um, mid-morning, about 10 o'clock. Guy's had a good breakfast, sun shining through the window. Uh, He's relaxed, dressed casually, no schedule that day, nothing pressing. He's got the whole day off, Uh, soft music playing in the background. Uh, Again, casual. Uh, Oh, he's got his canvas there. He's got paints. He's got his brush. He's an artist. And the creative juices are flowing in him. And he's just not breaking out in a sweat. Hey, there's no pressure. He's just dipping his brush and casually stroking the canvas, dipping his brush, stroking the canvas. And he's just creating this masterpiece. The creative juices are flowing within him. And he's just, it's so easy. It's so casual. You just, it's effortless. He's just, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this beautiful painting is just on the can. And you run up to him and say, oh, how are you doing that? He says, I don't know. You say, oh, could you teach me how to do it? No, go to Walmart, buy the number thing. See, it's just, he just, he's, he's an artist. And it's this, oh, he just, he just. That's poieto. That's the word here. Now over here is proso. It also is about painting. I forgot to tell you, I'm a painter. Barnes. Oh, hate this job, man. They don't pay me enough. Wow, painting right in the sun. It should be on the other side. Good night. When do I get a break? Oh, got it all over me. Both, come on, folks. Both are doing painting but it's not the same. Jesus never painted barns. It was always, and there was this creative flow of the life of God within the man called Jesus that just painted this masterpiece of the face of the Father. And it was just, It was never, well, listen, preacher, I've been in the church all my life. Well, you old barn painter, you're going to die and go to hell. Well, no, man, I, I paid attention to half the sermons. I slept through most of it, but I'm, you know, I've been on the board for 50 years. Come on, guys. This is not about doing the right thing. This is not about biting your lip. Okay, I won't do that anymore, brother. This is not about, uh, 
This is not about, well, I count to ten, I got my... This is not a anger management. What happened at anger management class? I got angry. No, that's not, that's barn painting. Well, what, what, what's, what's going on in 120? Oh, what's going on in 120? It's the same thing that was going on in Jesus. What was going on in Jesus? The father was turned his resource loose in the man called Jesus. And there was this poyoing going on. And Jesus just went around and painted this masterpiece of the face of the father. It was like he just couldn't help himself. It was just like it flowed. It was just like... Do you realize we don't care if you witness or not? We don't care. We don't witness to anybody. Don't bring anybody new to church. You've got next door neighbors. They're meaner than snakes. I know. Got 15 little brats. Build a fence. Keep them out of your yard. Good night. Don't bring them to my Sunday school class. They might have lice. See, we don't care if you witness. We don't, hey, if you come every other Sunday and give 20 bucks, we're happy. So there's no pressure here. You don't, you don't need to witness. You know what bothers us? Not that you don't witness, that doesn't bother us. You know what bothers us? You can keep from witnessing. See, there isn't something down inside of you that says, I can't stand this. I just can't stand this. I'm not winning anybody to Jesus. I can't take this. My neighborhood is all dying and going to hell. I got a neighbor with 15 kids and there are little brats. Hey, and I built a fence. I'm tearing a fence down. Hey, you little brats, get over here. I got milk and cookies for you. I'm taking you to church. So I just, because I just can't, I can't, I just can't stand this. Because I got this. And come on, I'm not criticizing. I'm not, I'm not on anybody's case. Come on. You know, I was at a church uh, a few weeks ago. They were having Friends Day. Friends Day. Friends Day. Yeah, Friends Day. Paint the place up. Friends Day. Bring all your friends. Friends Day. Are you against Friends Day? No, not against Friends Day. But see, we, we never did have we We didn't used to have Friends Day. You know why? Because we all just invited our friends all the time. <laughs> We were just always after somebody. Why? We had this thing inside that just, oh, I just, I just, oh. And when that went away, now we got to program. Now on this verse, everybody raise your hand. programmed a religion repeat after me I'm sick of that see what I want is a spontaneous inside can't help myself man I'm tired of biting my lip and counting to ten what I'd like to have is a Jesus who would come and get inside of me and do something so powerful within me that I don't have to bite my lip anymore it just kind of whoa I see you're baking a cake yes what are you going to do with it I'm taking out over to our next door neighbor. 
I thought he was mean. He is. I thought you didn't like him. I don't. I thought he, would, I thought he hated you. He does. What are you taking a cake for? I don't know. I can't help myself. I'm out of control. <laughs> See, that's poietoi. Because there's something inside of me. So Christianity is not a good case of self-discipline. Christianity is not a good case of self-control. Slap your hand, get your act together. Well, I'm better than I was. I don't kill him anymore. I don't kill people. I just hate their guts. See, I'm trying to explain Pentecost to you. The new covenant. What's going on in 120? Same thing that was going on in Jesus. What was going on in Jesus? Oh. See, there was this, there was this iscus, this, this movement, this dunamis of the action of the iscus of God, which is rolling through Jesus, wowing his world and pointing to the Father. And Jesus was just poiettoing the face of the Father on the canvas of his life until we looked at Jesus and saw the Father. He was the visible image of the invisible God. Oh. Now again, see, you could say, well, I could live like that if I were like you, preacher. See, I just, I just, if I didn't have a real job, I have to work. And you preachers, you just, yeah, you're right. I didn't want a real job, so I became a preacher. So, yeah, and I just can study the Bible. And if, if, I, had, if I didn't have to live, if I didn't have to go to my job, if, if I didn't, if, 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 if you were married, if you weren't married to my wife, you know, it's that kind of, yeah. Did you notice what he said? Look at this verse. Jesus of Nazareth, a man proven by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God poiettoed through him in your midst. You know where he did this? In your marketplace, man. See, God didn't do this through Jesus in the mystical heavenly realms. God did this in the midst. He was... Jesus became the carpenter to build your back porch. And you were peeking through the window and watched him when he maced his thumb and God boiled through him. See, you took him out and nailed him to a tree. And what did do, what happened? God boiled through him. So this was not done in a vacuum. This was done day after day after day in the midst of the crunch and crisis of your hour. trying to explain Pentecost to you. Well, what's going on in that 120? What, what on earth happened? Oh, Peter stands up and says, let me explain it to you. What's going on in them is the exact same thing that was going on in the man called Jesus. Same spirit that's now in them is the same identical spirit that was in Jesus. What was inside of Jesus making Jesus Jesus has now come to in them to remake the life of Jesus through them. So the source of this thing, the very essence of this thing that indwelt Jesus is now indwelling them. And guess what is promised to you? So the same Spirit of God that flowed through the life of Jesus, wowing His world and pointing back to the Father, that poietoed the life of God all over the canvas of the life of Jesus, has now come to indwell 120 and it's promised to you. Now, folks, don't look like you look. This is not a finger in your face. This is a people. Do you know what we got a hold of here? 
Do you know what we could be? Do you know how we could live? Do you realize that the crunch you're under, the kind of depression, the kind of the defeat, the kind of, well, I wish, the kind of all of that kind of stuff. Do you realize that there is a resource far beyond? Do you realize you can be the person you ought to be? You can live like you ought to live. Victory can be yours. You... yours Jesus I am so sorry God I've lived beneath my privilege I've wallered in my defeat when I should have been living in victory in your power. I've asked you to take your resource, God, and change circumstances in my life so I wouldn't feel the pressure. But I've not turned your resource loose in the inner gut of my being so that you can flow in and through me to change the way I think and feel and operate and you could express yourself through me. See, I've used you. Yeah, I want this God and I want that. I've done what the crowds did to Jesus. I want the free meals. Hey, touch my flesh. Make me feel better. I wanted all of that, God, but I didn't want to turn you loose in my inner heart that you would literally revolutionize my nature and make me different and begin to paint a different picture. God, I painted barns. I've developed a religion where I painted barns, lit candles, did my thing, prayed before my meals, made myself feel better, got over my guilt by doing good deeds instead of bad, and literally compensated for my guilt so that I could live with myself. And all the time, I didn't know the resource of your divine power living within me. I stood before the church, I joined the church, gave money to the church, do stuff to the church, but all the time, there wasn't the resource of your life literally in the dunamis of living, literally flowing through me, exploding in my life, manifesting yourself through me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Heads are bowed. Our altar's open. I'm going to the altar again because nobody here needs this or wants this dunamis of God moving in their life worse than I. I don't want any arena of my life where this isn't operating. I want Jesus permeating, expression on my face, twinkle in my eye, the words of my lips, the attitude of my expression. I want all my body drives to come under his control. And folks, I have to admit, I've painted way too many barns. Would you admit admit that with me? I've operated out of obligation. Well, I should. 
I'll feel guilty if I don't. I don't really want to, but... I would like to live in the explosive nature of God flowing in and through my life. Would you risk... We're not talking about good and bad now, so nobody's making any judgments. Would you risk, my dear friend, would you risk kneeling with me this morning and allowing, turning God loose? To explode through every arena of your life. To manifest himself. Moments of seeking. Want to seek with me? Altars open.